This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to Unstoppable today uh, a guest who I, I just realized I interviewed her daughter about 18 months, almost two years ago. Rihanna Milne is a global life, love, trauma, recovery, and mindset coach who has appeared on CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox News, and as a prior advice columnist and author for top media outlets like eHarmony and Digital Romance. Rihanna specializes in helping those with past unconscious childhood, and this is the part that I love, love and trauma heal from the, and transform their lives to go on to create the lives that they've deserved and, and the love that they and have the love that they deserve. Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us today on Unstoppable. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Now, I know that sounds like a big, um, a big CV, but I'm curious to know how you introduce yourself. So every guest that I, uh, I get on the show, I always ask them this question. So let's say you come in uh, to a dinner party. There's eight other people at, uh, at this dinner party. You don't know anybody there. And within the first five or six minutes, everybody mingles, sits down, and the room goes incredibly quiet, and the attention turns to you, and someone says to you, Rihanna, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Yes, it would depend on the group. However, uh, if it's the business group, I would tell them about my business. Um, I help successful people in business who struggle in love due to unhealed, unconscious childhood and love trauma patterns to help them create the life they desire and to have the love that they deserve. Well, you've done that once or twice. That was very articulate. (laughs) (laughs) I love so much about what you do, you know, for a whole range of reasons. Obviously, you know, I play a lot in the business and the performance space. um, But I think there's, you know, success leaves clues and there's been breadcrumbs that have been left for, I would go as far as to say, hundreds of years about the importance of, you know, good dynamics in relationships to produce successful lives. You know, and this is sometimes, I think, something that gets overlooked in a whole range of different areas. People pursue success in one area, but they don't realize that there are certain aspects of their life that have a 360-degree impact. So they might be, you know, pursuing success in the area of business or sports or, you know, some form of passion, but they may not be experiencing incredible levels of, you know, harmony and connection at home. So getting you on today is, is, a, is, is this is a, this is a big deal for me because I love, I love the stuff that you do. I love where you play. But what I'm curious to know is why is it that relationships have such an impact on performance in people's lives? It's so important. It's, it's one feeds into the other. If you're not happy in your primary relationship at home, if you had an argument that morning, you're going to go into work with bad energy, angry, shut down, uh, focusing on what happened at home that morning versus focusing on the job at hand. Vice versa, if you're at work and you have a boss you don't like and you're stressed out at work with job performance quotas, uh, stressed out, you bring that home. So then you're angry and not pleasant to your partner and you could pick a fight over something that just doesn't even make a difference. So the life balance, homework and the relationship all have to be in harmony. It's super important. One can't be outstanding like success in business. And then your relationships fall apart because you won't have happiness. Do you think the way that we learn how to relate in business um, or the way that we relate in business is often expression of how we have learned to relate at home? And if it is done more effectively, if it is done in a, in a far more healthy um, and connected way, that it can have detrimental impacts on the long-term success of people's relationships in business? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the... The messages that we heard as children 
which we call trauma number two, which would be vocal trauma or verbal. Um, if you heard messages, for example, like you'll amount to nothing, or I'm not going to invest in college for you, that would be a waste of my money and a waste of your time. Or you'll just go to Votech school because you can't make it at a four-year college. Whatever those put-down messages are, are the messages that you have as part of your self-esteem or ego. And I'm not talking conceited ego. Everyone needs sound ego as a child, as a teenager, to go for gusto in life. For example, you know my daughter, Alexi Panos, and at five years old, she's sitting in front of the TV and sees Save the Children commercial about starving children in Africa. And she looks at me and she goes, Mom, I'm going to go save those kids one day. Now, I could have laughed at her or whatever. And I said, babe, I believe you will because you've got a heart of gold and you're smart as can be and you're going to figure out a way. And at 20 years old, she puts water wells in Tanzania, Africa. And in her late 30s, they now have 21 of them. But these little seeds, these little ways of parental communication or the messages from your teachers or your coaches build that self-esteem that allows you to go for whatever it is you desire in life. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't get those messages as children, as an adult, we could be struggling. Let's say the entrepreneur who wants to be a coach, they get so far and then it's like, what? I need to invest 10,000 in myself to learn how to build a marketing funnel. Oh, what if it doesn't work? That's then I'd be throwing my money away. And all these doubts, right? Come in. Those were early unhealed messages, unconscious messages that you don't feel that you're worthy to invest in yourself. So you talk a lot about uh, traumas and childhood traumas and the way that they affect performance, but you've sat down and gone through and you've already given us a few already that there are fundamentally 10 childhood traumas that often lead to some of the problems that we have, whether that be in the way that we relate, but also in the way that we perform as well in business. Yes. What are they? Um, I developed the childhood trauma checklist um, in 2012, and I have 21 years experience as a licensed mental health counselor and worked in various uh, different capacities, but all with people of trauma. So I was working with kids from traumatic homes in the schools from kindergarten all the way through college. I worked in a mental health hospital for the child and adolescent ward. I worked in a drug and alcohol facility for teenagers and women from the prison system. So no matter their age, their culture, their background, their race, the same traumas kept showing up Mm. that were impacting them at these older stages of life. So I put them down on a list. um, And actually, it was after something happened to me, which I call a love trauma, and these are not in the psychology DSM, you know, four, five, six, whichever book they're up to right now. Uh, childhood trauma is not in there, nor is love trauma, but it's real and it happens. And now finally, when I was educating about childhood trauma in 2012, people were like, well, what is this? And I didn't get that in my triple masters mm. in psychology either. But this was a correlation I made between my ex-husband and his sabotaging his life and ruining everything he had with impulsive behavior in his career. And what I did with that is I took my pain and made it my purpose and my passion. Mm. When seven therapist friends of mine could not explain to me why he did what he did, ruining an idyllic life, uh, an incredible future that we had planned, 
And his last statements were, I don't know why I sabotage everything I love. And I said, I don't know either, but I'm going to figure it out. And that was the beginning of this journey into deep research. And I discovered, I said, you know, of all the people I worked with, and even my ex had these these traumas, right? And he had nine out of the 10 traumas. And then I looked at Mm. severity levels and his levels were eight, nines, and tens. So every person that comes to work with me does this simple assessment. It's in very simple language so everyone can understand. And when we go over it, it's simply asking, did these happen to you? Yes or no. It's not about blaming your mom and dad at this point in your life. It's not about feeling ashamed or guilty if you had these experiences. And sometimes you'll hear the list and it will come to you like a week later. It's like, oh, my God, that did happen to me. You know, Mm -hmm. something will spark in you. And it's amazing how later they come up in life. So if you'd like, I would go into those. I would love, but you've kind of pre preempted a bigger question. Before we go into the 10 different traumas, the trauma checklist, what is a trauma? Well, there's different ways to describe it. There's something called big T trauma, which yeah. most people say, uh, when I talk about childhood trauma, well, I didn't really have any trauma, a few bumps in the road, but they equate it with a major car accident. or being at war where you have post-traumatic stress disorder and you see killing or you witness a death. Certainly anybody that witnesses a school shooting would have experienced big T trauma, huge events like this. Little T trauma or smaller things that are just as important and affect the brain and the body cells, this is where trauma lies, as much as a big T trauma when they occur over time. So little T traumas are events that hurt you emotionally or it could be physically, but they're going on over time. It's not one big major incident, for example. And so with your trauma checklist, where do you start? Okay, with number one. Okay, so when you're a child, you're young and you're innocent and you're just a product of your environment. That's why I said we're trying to look at these as facts. Um, And the first one is if there was any addiction in your family. So being an addictions counselor, I named 12 of those drugs and alcohol use, uh, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a cheater and you were holding that secret, porn use, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, uh, workaholism, and now even social media or computer addiction. So the addiction will always come before the relationship with the child, okay? Or jeopardize that relationship with the child. Trauma two is the verbal messages, okay? Or verbal abuse. You might've witnessed mom and dad fighting a lot or those verbal messages I explained, which we call slurs or put downs. It even includes not hearing the words, I love you. Now I'm part of the baby boomer generation. I was on the beach. I live in Florida and I had like 10 of my cohorts there. And they all said, we never heard the words, I love you from our moms. And I said, you know, I taught my mother to say those words because I asked her, I was fourth out of five kids. I was the first one to have my grand, the grandchildren. So I said, well, mom, I love you. I'm really glad you had me. I was the fourth one. You could have stopped after three. And I said, but why don't you ever tell us five kids that you love us? She goes, well, I show you. And I said, well, why don't you say the words? She goes, well, those aren't words I ever heard. And it's true. So the research shows childhood trauma goes through at least three generations. So Mm. she never heard it. She says, I grew up in the Great Depression and it was all about work and survival. There was no warm and fuzzy emotions. 
And I look do at you, my grandmother and she was not warm and fuzzy. And I make think, sure with my girls, they heard the words, yeah, I love yeah. you and had lots of hugs and kisses as I was yeah. bringing them up because it's very important that you're affectionate with your children and give them those verbal praises, right? Those do you messages. think verbal messaging is often one that is overlooked? Because one of the things that I've observed in certain families, but also in certain cultures within families is the way that they communicate is often really dysfunctional. The way that they connect using verbal messages can obviously on, um, sometimes be quite dysfunctional because it's almost like they're sledging each other. You know, in England, they call it a good banter where you're constantly yes. paying each other out. You're constantly, you know, making little digs. But I, I guess you could say on some cases, that's normalized trauma bonding. Would you, would you suggest? Well, it's what we call cultural or area norms. Okay. Yeah, right. and an example, I had a couple in my office. He was from the Midwest US and she was from South Philly. And I grew up outside of Philadelphia and we're very impassioned. We talk with our hands and, you know, we get very excited about things. And he's there. Well, I'm here because she yells at me all the time. And he's really slow and mild mannered. She goes, what do you mean I yell at you? I don't yell at you. And I said, you don't hear it, do you? You know, so I have to re-educate and to mm. tell them about pitch, tone, volume, pace, the, the ways we communicate could really be distancing you from your partner, you know, and sarcasm, people think it's funny, but sarcasm is against the person. Humor is against an event. So humor is fun for everyone. Sarcasm is not fun for the victim. Mm. You see, so, you know, these are things that could alienate you from your partner, pushing them away from you. And psychologically, I, I teach this a lot. Women's cave woman brain, the number one need within her is to feel safe, to mm. feel affectionate. Okay. Even the act of making love, she has to open herself up, open her heart, her body, her mind to her love, right? So if she's not feeling safe, she's closed down. She's in self-protective mode. So very important that, you know, what she sees, what she hears, what she feels, they always say women make love first with the five senses. Mm. Okay. So that's very important for men to know. And women, on the other hand, have to realize men are, you know, first attracted by what they see, the visuals and women say, oh, men are so shallow. Well, not necessarily. They are in their caveman brain attracted because they are the procreators of the race. So that attraction factor with them is like super important where for a woman, safety and security mm. and feeling nurtured and cared for is, that's just a little side tidbit. Mm. So what's number three? Okay. Number three is um, emotional abuse or neglect. Okay. Number four is any physical abuse, any kind of hitting, uh, sexual abuse, rape, or molestation. And these, all of these traumas could have happened at home or in your neighborhood or at your school. It's not just within the family. So your family could have been perfect and you're walking off to school and you're getting beat up every day by the town bully. Yeah. Okay. Does this also encompass like emotional violence? Uh, well, that would be either verbal or emotional yep. neglect, right? Okay. We're, we're talking more physical, right? Yeah, got it. Yeah. Harm on that one. Then the next one is abandonment. And I described two types. There's fault and no fault abandonment. So a no fault abandonment would be if a parent happened to die early or if they leave the country to serve their country in war, or even if they're traveling a lot 
and they've left the family for the work they have to do to support them. So this is what we call no fault abandonment, where a fault abandonment is never being in the child's life at all, being there while the couple is together or married, and then they break up and that person rarely sees the children, or even an emotional abandonment. So let's say, I heard this all the time working with kids. It's like, Miss Rihanna, I have to go see my dad this week. And he just sits in front of football and watches that all weekend and I'm in my room. Why do I even have to go there? It's stupid. (laughs) And this kid is angry and feels neglected. That's an emotional abandonment. He's not Mm -hmm. feeling love or the the parent doesn't go see them in their sport events or their their school plays. You know, whatever it's important to that child, it's important that the parent, you know, nurtures that. The next one is if you were part of foster care system, adopted, or had to live in another home because your parents couldn't keep you in that home. Trauma seven is uh, one of the most popular that people can say, yes, that happened to me. And this I call personal trauma. So this is if you were bullied, if you felt different, you might have been that overweight, chubby child or the skinny, gawky kid and called a nerd. You might have been the only African-American child in an all-Caucasian school. You might have been coming out as LGBTQ and not accepted for who you feel you are or you want to be. So this one is huge when it comes to people um, recognizing they're not feeling worthy about themselves. Okay, that's a big one. Trauma eight is called sibling trauma. So this is um, that relationship. So that sibling could have bullied you. They uh, could have been born with a medical issue. So mom and dad had to give them more time over you. Or most commonly, you sense them that they were the golden child, the favored one. You know, they might have been a star athlete or more handsome or beautiful, um, more successful in some way. And you just feel like you didn't measure up. That's sibling. Yeah, right. Number nine, there's two. I had to bring one. There are more than 10. And yeah, this was in the later list. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I had to bring it down because it became so rampant like 10 years ago. When I was growing up, we barely saw it, which is called community trauma. So now mm. everyone has this trauma because we are all suffering around our world with COVID and yep. its impact, right? So this is a community mass trauma. Um, and look at our little people needing to go through this. They have to wear masks or afraid if mom or dad goes to work and might come home sick. You know, they're hearing the news with all these horrible statistics. So this is going to play out in 10 years when they're teens and young adults. And, and you know, we're going to see the impact of that. And a lot of times this is also our mother nature events or floods, fires, hurricanes, mudslides that impact community at large. It is also our our mass shootings, our school shootings, Mm. um, things like this. And this always impacts the family if it's impacting the community. But other family traumas would be if a parent is incarcerated, if you're growing up in a dangerous neighborhood, um, if you move a lot, like in the U.S., our military families move every two to four years, and that puts that child in a new school all the time, being the new kid. Um, there's many things under family trauma growing up with a lack of money and always hearing we don't have enough money to pay the bills or we can't make the rent or no, you can't have those sneakers because we don't have enough this month. So those lack messages come into play a lot in business. 
So how right? do these traumas affect the way that we relate? Because I'm going to assume perhaps different traumas affect different aspects of our relationships and the dynamics that yes. we create. But Correct. what are the most common ones that you have seen? Because uh, someone might be going, shit, I've got some of these traumas. Holy crap. Yes. I never realized that they were a trauma. I just thought that's how it's always done. That's exactly. how people always are. I thought everyone was just like me. So does that mean that I'm now, I've, I've, I'm broken? Well, maybe not. No, maybe it's now no. just looking at the symptoms of how that manifests. What does that look no, like? No, as a matter of fact, nine out of 10 people have at least one to three traumas. Okay. Okay. And the, they say the other one person is a sociopath narcissist. That's nothing's ever wrong with them. It's everybody else. Yeah. So we all have something. This is why we're all should be working on ourselves and our relationships and healing whatever past things we might have gone through. And trauma number 10, by the way, Kerwin, is that yep. mental health issues in mom or dad. Two uh, most difficult is bipolar or borderline personality disorder that leaves a child very anxious, like walking on eggshells, not sure what they're going to get in that personality when they yep. get home that day. So how does this play out? And let's talk about love relationships. So if you had experience abandonment issues, you could be codependent, uh, always counting on your partner. Um, you could be prone to what we call um, these relationships. You break up, you get back together, break up, get back together. Your conscious mind, your rational mind is saying, I know they're no good for me. And then the unconscious is saying, but I really want love. Okay. I really crave the love and maybe we can get the beginning back, right? Mm. The studies show Toxic behavioral traits come out four to nine months into the relationship or after a major commitment, moving in together, engagement, marriage, or a child is born. This is usually during these transitional times when this will show up. But um, yeah, so the, the breakup, get back together cycle, yeah. that's from abandonment. And the research shows it's an average of seven times. Holy smoke. But, that's under abandonment. People pleasing is big, especially a lot for women. So if she had that angry, authoritative father just to you know please him all the time so he wouldn't yell and scream, uh, that would keep peace in the house. So they got love by being the good little girl or always yeah. doing the right thing. Okay, so pleasing people. Later in life, I'll have a couple come to me and she goes, I do everything for my husband and my kids and they do nothing for me. They don't love me like I love them. And she's burnt out, exhausted, and resentful. And he's there, well, you don't have to do all those things for me. I could do them myself, you know? So we have to work on the boundary issues there. Now, jealousy and control come from trauma number seven, not feeling worthy or good enough. Um, lying and manipulation, same situation. Uh, let's say there's a little boy, father's an alcoholic, gets a beating every day. If he's late, he's going to lie and say, oh, he's seeing the tutor. So he could would get away with not getting hurt that day. So the lying becomes almost expert because that was their coping strategy. It's their survival mm -hmm. tool. And then it becomes normalized, which we call norms that they tend to use just unconsciously. It's everyday behavior by the time they're an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, perfectionism is a big one. And this can work well in the business world. But if you nitpick and you're really perfectionistic to your partner mm. and always like putting them down or trying to change them or talk about what they're wearing, um, this will erode the love in the relationship. So people that have a very chaotic childhood 
will crave control as an adult. And at the workplace, it tends to work well. In relationships, it tends to destroy it. And there's others, like for when I work with celebrities, I work with a lot of celebrities. I used to be a model and talent agent and manager for 10 years. And a lot of people have what we call imposter syndrome. They make it, they're thrilled they make it. And they have this persona of larger than life. It's the same as influencers. But then deep down, they're like, I don't know why I have this, or I don't deserve this. Or they start drinking or sabotaging their success because Mm. inwardly they don't feel that they deserve it. So compatibility versus chemistry. I've noticed in certain relationships that some people, when they get together, they seem to have a little bit of a spark and we call that chemistry. And, you know, sometimes it's a personality, sometimes it's a dynamic, sometimes it's a sexual aspect to it. Um, But oftentimes, and I'm not sure if this is just me, but I've seen where there's high chemical charge, there's often a lot of that roller coaster nature, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Uh, a lot of excitements, a lot of makeup, sex, a lot of fighting. Uh, but then I've kind of noticed on the other side of the boat that there are certain relationships that are built on a little bit more of compatibility. And they don't seem to be from the outside as exciting because they're not having the fights, they're not having the ups, they're not having the downs. But there is greater levels of, I guess, what you'd call um, values that are shared or values that are connected. So I'm just curious, with all the work that you've done, have you seen any correlation between what I would call chemistry versus compatibility? You know, because when I talk about this, I've, I've had people say, well, you know, I like to have that spark. And I'm saying, well, it's not that you can't have both, but if you're just relying on one, that's going to be you know, potentially quite unhealthy. Is this something you've seen pop up yes. in the work that you do? Yes. I talk a lot about this. Chemistry is one of the worst ways to fall in love, gang. Mm. Okay. So what is happening there? The brain likes homeostasis. In other words, what it knows from your past, from those childhood patterns that are forming. So unconsciously, it's looking for that cheap drama from the past. Mm -hmm. Or have you ever heard the woman say, I swear I'd never fall in love with an alcoholic because my dad was one. And she falls in with someone that has an addiction issue, whether it's alcohol or pot, whatever it's going to be. But there's an addiction issue there. So, you know, this is what we call relationship repetition syndrome. You keep picking the same type of personality type over and over again, leading to heartache. And yes, these are usually very passionate, very romantic relationships initially um, because people of trauma attract people of trauma. So Mm. the healthier you are emotionally, when I help my people heal all this, my clients, then they're very selective because when you feel very balanced and, and, and spiritual and peaceful in your life, you don't want cheap drama. Mm. You look for someone who is compatible. You look for the qualities in someone that will make a relationship be amazing. Honesty, integrity, you can count on them, um, you know, responsible with finances, Uh, They love their work. They make a difference in the world. You know, you align on your values, your future goals. These are the things that will keep the friendship, the deep friendship, always going. And your lover should be your best friend. So it takes time to nurture and be someone's best friend, right? And what a lot of people are doing wrong, they go on the chemistry, they're, they're making love. All of a sudden now we're a relationship. And they don't even have any of these things, the deeper, real important things aligned. Mm. And yes, there has to be an attraction 
factor. You have to make love to this person. So there has to be an attraction factor. But if all the other things are gone, that's the cake. The chemistry, the attraction is the icing on the cake. Without the cake, you've got nothing. So what do you say to the people who's, because I've had people say this to me, but I just find, you know, certain relationships very boring. And I say, well, sometimes healthy can be quite boring. Yeah, because there's (laughs) not... It's peaceful, yeah, peaceful. but you can find excitement in other ways. That's correct. It's the activities you do together. So whether you travel or you skydive or you hike, you're boating, you know, you're dancing, you, then the activities becomes the fun with your best friend, your best buddy, right? And they're your passion too. Um, and it's someone you truly trust, you can count on. And when you have that, especially for a woman, that's everything. Mm. You know, and you know, it's funny when I, well, it's not funny, it's sad, but when I, let's say I have a man that cheats on his woman and he's like, well, just get over it. You know, that once the trust is gone, it's very hard to get it back mm. again, because she's safety driven. She wants that, that's that ability to count on that person. So, I mean, the qualities are everything to make mm. a sustainable relationship and the research shows I'm a spiritual person, you know, my kids, they're spiritual people. And the more spiritual you are, and I don't mean religious practice, I mean, spiritual in the way you are being 24 seven, how you carry yourself in life, that forms the longest and the happiest relationships to spiritual people. That's so true. So maybe there's some people listening to this who are going, fuck, okay, tick, 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 um, tick. There's a few ticks in here. Um, where do I start to heal? And I know, you know, with myself and with the people that I've supported, the healing journey, you know, often starting the healing journey is one of the most challenging things. Although once you get into it, you realize there's things a lot more challenging than starting the healing journey, but it's not until you get in there that you are able to, but where do you suggest people should start? Cause I think that's well, a fair question. Yeah. I mean, you, I hear all the time. I've been seven years of therapy. And when I do a discovery session, which is one hour, it's like I learn more in one hour than I have in seven years of therapy. Mm. Again, find someone who's a certified clinical trauma professional, someone who has really studied this and knows how to work with this. Um, it's very deep. It does involve mental health. Um, so ideally, someone who is licensed in mental health and trauma healing recovery Also mindset work, because it is retraining the unconscious and conscious behavioral patterns and the way you think and behave in life. Mm -hmm. It's a hybrid, which I do. Those are the three models that I use. So it is a process in all my trauma studies. It's ideally six months of practicing the skills that I teach my clients and I work one-on-one. So it's very specialized depending on what they have endured as a child and what's showing up for them, whether they're single or they're in a coupled relationship is how I have to treat them. So it's very individualized. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first part we do is a trauma healing and the instruction of all the different techniques and strategies. I want them to keep practicing I do vitamin therapy. Um, none of my clients are on psychotropic medication. We heal anxiety. We heal depression. Uh, we heal the negative fear-based mindset. All of that naturally, because the mind is the be- best tool that you have, and any medication is a band-aid. 
So we rip off the Band-Aid. We look at where the root of this stuff came from. We rewrite the story. We teach reparenting. We teach mindset. And then part two is to have a quality love relationship. Or if you're single, the exact skills based in science to have a psychological edge. And it's also based on emotional intelligence studies on how to attract an ideal, emotionally healthy partner for them. So it's a two-part system. We look at life first. Yeah. Because for my singles, I say, you know, if you if you want someone who's financially sound and not bringing you debt, do you have debt? Well, we got to clean that up. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have arguments with uh, your friends? Well, then that's a communication skill we're going to have to heal. So we make them feel like the best they can be as an individual. And when I work with couples, same things. I separate them initially. I do the trauma work on each one. Then I explain to them what their emotional triggers are. So um, let's say the woman is trying to push the guy to talk about why he's mad from work. And then he needs to say, and he learned, if I talk about my feelings, I'm going to get hit. And that's what he learned as a kid from his Mm. father. So he shuts down, doesn't want to talk about it. And later he's angry. So he's passive aggressive. And this Mm. cycle keeps going on and she feels ignored and he doesn't care. And he's there. No, I'm not allowed to talk about it. And he gets too anxious to talk about it. So that's what's in their childhood patterns. Then I have to make them feel both safe to share their feelings in a certain way. So Mm. I do a lot of uh, communication skill training with couples, as well as healing them individually from their trauma and then teaching them the relationship skills to keep them happy and uh, passionate in their in their love for each other. I'm so, I'm so glad you gave a bit of context there because it would have been so easy to go, well, you know, all you need to do is this. But the reality is, I know from my own experience um, and having supported many others through it, there's a lot to do. There's healing And healing can be quite messy. Would you agree? Um, you know what? I got to tell you, Kerr, when I, when I work with them, my clients are seeing healing in like, session two, three, um, because right away they understand that what they're experiencing is not their fault, Mm. that they were just an innocent child. And these are facts that we have to deal with. And then rewriting the story and and then looking through the lineage of what did your mom go through with her parents that she was screaming at you all the time. Well, you know, her dad beat her and was alcoholic and her mom left when she was five. So, you know, we, we learn it's spiritual. There's a lot of spirituality to this as well. We learn compassion, forgiveness, rewriting the stories. Um, a lot of my clients and actually go back and help educate their parents to help them heal. It's really quite remarkable to see that. And they do it in such a kind empowered and loving way like they find their voices the parent Mm. that they could never say anything to they are now instructing them to be in a certain way you know like i had a a female whose mother was always critical to her there was a big dinner party like two months ago and she's sitting there and right in front of 16 people she starts picking on her again and she goes mom you know at this point when i was a kid it was kind of cute and funny but we're both women now why aren't we more supportive of each other at this stage of life. And she said it kind and loving and calm. And a couple of others said, yeah, let's just keep it peaceful and loving tonight. You know, so she kindly instructed her that this is no longer appropriate. Yeah. 
I love that. You know, so they find their voices. Rihanna, I've loved talking to you today. Um, I think it's fair to say we could keep going for a long time, but where can people find out more about you? I know you've written a couple of books as well. Yeah, Uh, I'll tell you all about that. Uh, RihannaMilne.com is my website, and that's the best place to start. My number one bestseller, Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have Your Love, The Love You Deserve. And the sister book, it goes with it, is called Live Beyond Your Dreams. From fear and doubt to personal power, purpose, and success. So live is about the mindset for success in all areas of your life. And love is about successful relationships. So you can get the first 60 pages free on my website. While you're there, I have free love tests for singles and couples and a free ebook uh, going into the childhood trauma dynamics a whole lot more. And then my podcast is Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. And I think I have 106 shows out there. And you can hear that uh, on every podcast platform as well as on my YouTube channel. Rihanna, that is um, that is phenomenal. Thank you so much for what you do. I've really enjoyed Thank this conversation today. Um, and what can I say? Your daughter has clearly got your beautiful looks. You, um, <laughs> you, I can see a lot of a lot of Thank her you. in you. And it must be so. You must be so proud to see her going on to do the stuff that she's doing now. You know, when when we talk about success, since your show is all about success in many life areas, you know, it is a balanced world when we look back right and like i said i'm a baby boomer now you know i'm so proud of my two daughters and the way they live their lives the mothers that they've become the the successful amazing entrepreneurs that they are they're out there changing the world in the way that they love and they know how you know i love that i work with clients that i can help transform their lives right so when you look at what is success It's that inner light, that inner joy where every part of your life that you've touched in some way is thriving. And I want to encourage the listeners today, start today to create that life you really desire. And with that will then come the love that you deserve. So don't wait. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Rihanna Milne. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com